a small person, I'm a cute little peppy girl, I'm not that curmudgeon old repair tech that doesn't want to talk to you, so don't talk to them, like, I'm a small woman, and I do a classically man's job. Don't be afraid about breaking a mold necessarily. Hello and welcome, my name is Casey. And I'm Elena. And you're listening to another episode of Earbuds Engaged, Portfolios of the Young Professional. A podcast for fellow teaching artists and those searching for their niche in the music world. And our goal is to create a community of individuals who share our vision for the future of classical music. If you believe you are one of those individuals, it would mean the world to us if you could go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review, as that is the best way for us to be found online. Yes, also we release new episodes every Monday, and in order to make them as relevant as possible, we need your feedback. We're hoping to reach a goal of five Apple Podcast reviews by June, and uh, maybe we'll read them on the podcast as a shout out and a thank you for your support. Yes, and today we have a special guest again. Hoorah! Uh, This is Allison Fong. Say hello, Allison. Hello there. (laughs) <laughs> I know Allison through Taylor, uh, which is, uh, Taylor is your husband. We had classes together in grad school, and I think we were in the same year uh, at grad school as well. And then uh, about a year ago, I needed a clarinet repaired. I, I don't know if I knew it through Taylor or if um, I saw something online or I don't remember how it all worked out. But I found you uh, about 45 minutes away working in... Um, an instrument repair shop and you fixed up my clarinet and it works wonderfully now. Uh, <laughs> so I thought how cool would it be to have someone who does that as their profession on the podcast. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I think that instrument repair is like kind of a mystery as far as how you get started or you have to know certain people maybe, but um, it's something that I've thought about before. Um, not so much recently, but when I first started undergrad, I was like, that would be a great option. So we'll get into all those fun details, but maybe should we start with like a background? Yeah, tell us a little bit about um, your music background. So you can take that however far back you want. (laughs) (laughs) When I was five years old. (laughs) No, no, no. So um, I'm originally from California, both Taylor and I, we are from California, it's like Sacramento area. I did band and all that kind of stuff growing up. It, band was like a really big part of our community. Um, it was like one of the main get-togethers, and everyone did music growing up in like the band setting. So it was only natural. When I did go to college, I first started off as a music ed major, did that. I also then tacked on an oboe performance major. So I have both my majors from California State University, Sacramento. And I played a lot. I gigged a lot on the oboe around Sacramento. I taught for a couple of years. And that's pretty much my music background. I didn't really do a whole lot of crazy things outside of that. Um, but I was very involved in various like band organizations, even like student teaching, all that kind of fun stuff. So, mm. yeah. so did you teach um, high school, middle school, general music? I filled in a lot for, like, elementary music. Okay, okay. So, like, beginning band. I'm great at beginning band. Give me a high school class. Not not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> uh, large, it gets larger groups as you go older. 
Right? And then also, like, the high school kids are, like, bigger than me, and it's just... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you walk oh on the gosh. campus, and they're like, you shouldn't be out. I was just like, I'm yeah. an adult. <laughs> like, I need to dress extra fancy so that I stick out as a an authoritative figure. Exactly. <laughs> extra makeup, the whole nine yards, you know? So I like the littler kids because they, they automatically think I'm a grown-up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's what CJ's saying all the time, too. He's like, I don't think I want to ever... He's like, I have to wait, like, at least 20 years before I think I'm ready to teach high school students, because everyone thinks I'm a high school student now. Story of my life. I am almost 30 years old, and people still think I'm in high school. It's great. It's it's so great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, did you play oboe the entire time for your whole band career, everything, or were there multiple instruments? Oh, multiple instruments. I started off on clarinet. And then once I got into high school, classic double reed player thing, like one instrument wasn't enough. And so I kind of worked my way through all the the different instruments. Actually, I went to my band director when I was a freshman and said, I want to play trombone. For some reason, I really wanted to play trombone. And so he struck a deal with me. If I played oboe for concert season, because they really needed an oboe player, then I could play trombone for jazz band. I was like, mm. sure, whatever. That sounds great. And so that's actually what I ended up doing was I was playing trombone for jazz band, clarinet for marching season, and then oboe for like concert season. And then I just kept playing oboe. And then if you do go to college for, for music degrees, you know, double read players are, are the hot stuff. So I just pursued <laughs> that. Yeah. And then um, did you do marching band as well? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We did parade, field show, and I actually did drumline for about three mm. or four years. So I was a mallet player, and I also played um, bass drum, like marching bass drum. I was a top oh, bass. Oh, heavy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the lighter one. <laughs> yeah, so I've kind of been around the whole the whole uh, band experience. Yeah, like, I've been in the honestly. percussion section. I've done brass line. I've done played almost any woodwind. Like, <laughs> That's so <laughs> A little cool. bit of everything. Yeah, so I can see how you would um, go in as music ed, for sure. Did you do much teaching before that or during? No, not necessarily. I think once I got to college, because I was an oboe player and I was doing quite well with that, mm-hmm. most of my teaching was private lessons, I'd want to say. But I would fill in for friends all the time because they, the more I was in college, like the more years I was in college, more my friends were going out to be band directors, music teachers. So I was filling in for them a lot. But the majority of my teaching was, like, I had my own private studio, and there was a big lack of oboe players where I was from, Mm -hmm. so it was just nonstop gigging and nonstop, like, students. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And did you have a private teacher for oboe? I did in – oh, I did, like, in college and everything, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Growing up, not really as much. I was the only oboe player that I knew of, so college was definitely a big wake-up call, and – Same. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, I'm supposed to sound like that? What? Uh, <laughs> what do you mean I'm not in tune? <laughs> I'm in tune with myself. <laughs> right? That just makes you better, though, because once you do, like, see the light, you're like, what was I doing before? Oh, my gosh, I can never go back to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. So that what um were your official degrees um, that you finished with? I have a bachelor's in music education, K through 12, and a bachelor's in oboe performance. Okay. Wow. I bet those were really busy four years. 
Yeah. And <laughs> I so I, I did five years, not four years. Five I don't years. want to okay. mislead you, but I That's still a busy five years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and the whole time too, I actually worked full time in retail. And so that's where a lot of my retail background before moving into music retail, I have a very soft spot for that because, you know, it got me through college and I have yeah. a great appreciation for it just because of what it did for me. Mm-hmm. Um like helped me keep a roof over my head. So that's how I got more into the realm of music retail was because I liked retail to begin with. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So then tell us about the um, that final year that you were in college. Were, did you have any idea what was going to happen next or were you scared or did you <laughs> – how did you feel that out? <laughs> oh, I had no idea, right? You, you get to your last year and you're like, great, so you're either going to be a – band teacher or music teacher or whatever or you're going to go on and do grad school to be a professional player and I had no idea which way I wanted to lean both did not seem the right fit necessarily like I wasn't dying to walk into a classroom I wasn't dying to you know spend another five hours a day practicing excerpts Mm -hmm. so I was just because of how much I was playing and like what the expectations were of me at that time I was thinking I was going to do grad school, so I was in the midst of applying to grad schools and working up auditions and stuff like that when I just realized I didn't want to do it. So, mm-hmm. mm. and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you finish the whole audition process and everything, or did you No. Kinda... No, I just mm-hmm. backed out. I think it was around December or January when mm-hmm. I just said I'm not doing – because auditions, you know, you, you pre-apply and then you – um do the actual um, audition, like February through April season and all that fun stuff. And around December, January, I just said, either take a year off and reevaluate or let's just not do this right now. It was just, I was putting myself in a position Mm -hmm. that was expected of me, not what I wanted to do necessarily. Good for you. Yeah, Yeah, that's really hard to kind of go against. I want to, like, assume, but I know it can be easy to just kind of follow suit, basically. So it's good that you knew you know what you wanted yeah how were the relationships in your life around this decision like your family and friends and things oh I say like the the family and friends aspect wasn't a a factor really I don't really have Mm -hmm. much of a family background for me so I think that gives me Mm -hmm. a lot more leeway you know Mm -hmm. like everything I choose is like up to me there's not really that kind of pressure Mm-hmm. It more came from the faculty, actually. Mm-hmm. Like my private teacher, the ensemble directors, people who I play with in the community. Not necessarily mm-hmm. my friend group or anything, or my husband, but it was all these people who were expecting me to go on to these like really great things, and they were the ones that were kind of like pushing me to go do the playing route and everything. And mm-hmm. I broke so many hearts when I said I wasn't. <laughs> especially to step back and to do something what is considered blue collar it was it was interesting for sure yeah so then did you have a teacher in your undergrad that was showing you how to do this instrument repair or was it a class that you took or it seems like the sort of thing you have to apprentice with (laughs) yeah so I actually did an apprenticeship there's two different ways to get into music repair you can either go to a tech school for about a year to two years it's an intensive program and there's only there's three or four in the U.S. Actually, and the U.S. is one of the major hotspots for instrument repair. A lot of countries don't even have anything like that. 
Oh, wow. Uh, so you can do a technical program or you can do an apprenticeship. And apprenticeships are much harder to come by, especially ones that are, like, worth Quality. the time. Exactly. <laughs> and so, honestly, I was in the right place at the right time. The Around my junior year of my bachelor's, I started working at a, my local music store. Mm. And... I didn't know it, but at the time, the repair shop there was actually one of, like, the, the leading in the music repair industry. Mm. And it was just one day, it was just so odd, because I actually remember, like, walking through the shop being like, who would ever choose this? Like, how do you even do this? I had never <laughs> held tools before, nothing like that. Just like, this is so random. And I just remember one day walking back there, just super bored, saying, can I do something for you guys? Is there anything you can do? I was expecting, like, some clerical work or something. And my boss at the time handed me a set of saxophone keys. And he was just like, can you clean these for me? I was like, sure, why not? And it was just perfect timing, perfect circumstances, because the shop had just lost a number of technicians for various reasons. And they were just so backlogged. And evidently, I didn't do a bad job cleaning the keys. Because the next <laughs> day, he gave me like two sets of saxophone keys to clean. And within a few weeks' time, I was having a regular role in the shop, just prepping stuff for the technicians to work on and it slowly integrated that way as I was you know going to school for music and everything and I just had more and more shifts in the repair shop I was just shown more things slowly over time to where it eventually came into a full-time apprenticeship so yeah about when did that happen for it to become full-time um I would have to say so I started doing that my sophomore year of my not my sophomore, my junior year of my undergrad. And around my senior year, I was, you know, doing my recitals. I was prepping for everything. I was doing minor repair stuff. So that was my my job, like part-time doing repair stuff, part-time doing retail stuff at the music store. Um, it turned full-time when I told my boss I was I would be willing to dedicate a year or two in the store to learn more. So mm -hmm. once I made up my mind that I wasn't going to go to grad school okay. right away, then I can actually sit down and learn more fundamentals of repair. Mm. That is awesome. Okay. So you kind of dipped your toes in a little bit of everything. So you really yeah. knew. <laughs> yeah, I, that's pretty cool. And it's a unique situation. You kind of knew, like, I want to be in music and I'm going to, um, I don't know, take the opportunities around me. And you figured out what kind of fit into your life the best. Yeah, and at the time, were you really enjoying um, that apprenticeship sort of thing? Or was it just kind of like, well, I guess I'll do this because it's an opportunity? <laughs> well, so I I am the first person to admit I am not a crazy mechanical person. I can't look at something and be like, I can fix it, you know? Yeah. I'm just really great <laughs> at observing and mimicking. So that's mm -hmm. how I've gotten through this whole repair thing. Because I do know a lot of technicians who they just truly enjoy instruments as an object and what they can mm. do and how you can fix them. What truly touched me, because I did a lot of counter service at the repair shop that I worked in then, like the repair shop was an entity you walked into, you got to see the benches, you got to see people working on your instruments. And so I spent so much time at the counter talking to customers, talking to students, talking to teachers, seeing the before and after was what really made me think that this could be something I could do long term. Like this was such a benefit that I would not even think of was just seeing the difference you were making, not just like fixing someone's instrument, something that they couldn't play before or a student that was struggling 
or anything like that, but just seeing the joy of someone who had the opportunity to do something they love. So, and it was a great opportunity too to fix an embouchure or show them the right fingerings or you need to replace your reeds. So, <laughs> yeah, it really seems like a perfect um, melding of your education into teaching as well. It's like, well, actually, like, I could be a band director, but I'm doing this. So let me talk to you like I'm a band director. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So as of right now, um, can you repair any standard band instrument? Or is there something you're still, like, working on learning? Or Yeah, so my actual title is I'm a woodwind repair technician. I specialize in woodwinds. I can diagnose a lot of problems on brass. I had a lot of experience and training in that. I really am not a brass technician. I was never taught that. Um, a lot of repair technicians, they can go either way. They can specialize in woodwinds or brass, or they can just be a general one mm. or strings and everything like that. But um, I was just, my role, because the shop was just, that I had my apprenticeship in, it was just so high demand. We did crazy amounts of volume that it was just easier to specialize in one thing and crank that out on your bench. Yeah, yeah. Plus, the other part about brass work, at least that I've realized, is that a lot of it is structural damage. You know, like, Mm. if something's wrong, a lot of times it's been dropped or who knows what. And my boss who taught me was six foot three and (laughs) quite larger than me. And he had a hard time teaching me, uh, like, dent work and various things like that. So... I got really good at padding and all the woodwind stuff, but there was just like a little bit of a, a learning gap there because he just didn't know how to show my little tiny hands how to do <laughs> things that he could do. So I just kept doing woodwinds. So I can fix, long story short, I can fix woodwinds, uh, brass, not so much, but I can do basic stuff. Like I can restring a violin, I can, mm. you know, clean a trumpet. I could tell you what's wrong with a trombone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you own um, your own instruments to fix this? Or does that kind of come with um, working at a, a retail location? It's a little of both. So all your general bench tools, you expect to get yourself. So the common things you'll use within a day. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that, too, is preference based, like how something feels in your hand, and especially mm-hmm. in terms of... Um, ergonomics and all that fun stuff but a lot of shops will have some of the larger things the shared things um also a lot of shops they'll have like buying programs where they will buy tools for you and slowly over time you'll pay it off so yeah a little of both awesome so what's your favorite instrument to work with I would say clarinets because they are the quickest, oh. <laughs> and there's not too myst- too many mysteries with them. So I've that was my bread and butter. I spent over a year, my first year of my apprenticeship, I touched nothing but clarinets. So mm. I just got really good and really quick at them, and I just love them to death because I know what to expect. <laughs> I bet you get a ton of them too. Oh yeah, I my main instruments that I work on right now at my current job are um clarinet saxophones and flutes so Mm. the occasional other things will creep in there but uh pittsburgh has a very large school music program school music Mm -hmm. programs everywhere so it's like a lot of the basic instruments is that what is what we see Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what sort of hours are you working on now with the i don't know we're in the yellow phase i guess (laughs) 
Right? So that's the fun thing. I, I'm i actually the shop manager where I work at now, so I got recalled a little bit ago to try and organize everything, prepare everything, figure out how the heck we're going to deal with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. The shop has been recalled back full time because rental season is our busiest season. Rental season starts the minute school gets out and all the band directors drop off all their instruments to be repaired over the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get through all those and then all the rentals start for right before school starts. So mm. repair techs are their busiest in the summer months leading into like mid late fall. And it's just ungodly amounts of instruments that we fix. So we need to start working a little bit quicker to make up for the, the couple months we missed out on. So mm. So we, everything was just closed then? Yes. So we were not deemed essential, so we were not allowed right. to work. But so no ad home repair either. Um, no, not privately, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whew, goodness. Yeah, I always wonder when the best time to bring an instrument in is, and I never yeah. know how, <laughs> how long I should expect to wait on it either. It, it's kind of like when you take your car and you're like, should I sit around or probably not? I should probably go. Is this going to take a week or a couple hours? <laughs> uh, what sort of advice would you give to someone who is about to take their instrument in? Honestly, I always tell people when school is in session is the best time. So whenever there's a break, unless you schedule it in advance, that's great. Always call and ask if you can schedule an appointment. That's the very best way to get your stuff done quicker. Um, Mm -hmm. But summer break is like the craziest, busiest time. Then winter Mm -hmm. break, then Thanksgiving break, spring break. Because everyone else, they're, they're off their gigs, they're off school. Right. So the best time is like mid-February or something like that, or the two weeks before Christmas break or something like, (laughs) something similar. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) So do you, or have you ever gone to like, as a hopper, like going to the different bands programs in the area or schools and like just collected instruments and that kind of thing or is that yeah I've done a couple of clinics for band directors like it needs to play now kind of stuff I've Mm. done emergency repair booths for like conferences or like honor bands different stuff like that I've also gone to schools to do um, bulk estimates and that and like help evaluate uh, rental not rental fleets but uh different schools instrument fleets and give them and give the band directors an idea of what they have what they mm-hmm. should replace what they should pitch to their um their higher ups as a as a budget for the coming years so i do a, i do offer a lot of services like that like let me come to you and whatever you need let me know and i can help you mm-hmm. on your way that is really nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can only imagine they have like things hanging out in the back that they haven't been able to get to and don't like closets know. full of stuff like mm, that's moldy like yeah. that just throw it away oh you should sell that on ebay like <laughs> anything like that like how much should you ask your principal or your administration for in terms of replacement uh quoting accessories all kinds of fun stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah speaking of moldy what is the <laughs> grossest instrument that you've had to repair oh my gosh so Hopefully they don't happen too often. Oh, gosh, no. I mean, you see stuff that, you know, has been left in a dank basement forever. And, like, the classic mold is no longer gross to me because it is so common. Like, if you see mold physically growing on an instrument, it's just like, okay, I'll put the gloves on. But the grossest thing I've probably seen, I did not have to take care of it, fortunately, but in my last job, it's actually not an uncommon thing 
where larger brass instruments or something will be left in a band room or open like that during the summer. Some kids threw something in there and like a rat or something got stuck in a valve or like in a tuba. But, you know, it's not common, but it's not unheard of to like, oh, my like euphonium's not blowing air through like what's wrong there's there's a, a dead rat inside essentially oh, oh my god i never even <laughs> thought about that yeah so you know so oh. especially like at football games people are just through being kids yeah. you know, they're throwing popcorn or like candy in their in their like <laughs> sousaphones and they go the the rats try and find it Oh Another fun one that I saw was it was it wasn't gross but it was just kind of scary was that they were working my um the bench next to me at my old job they were working on I think it was a tuba and there was just like some air blockage they couldn't figure out and they had to like completely take it apart right and they pull out a hand and they thought it was a real hand it was a mannequin hand it was like, oh, like a God. dummy prop but it was like stuffed away in there but when they finally get the lights in there they really thought there was a hand inside oh, this euphonium <laughs> oh my god thank god oh the antics of children <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that sounds about right <laughs> i've been at some schools where the repair person will be like oh my gosh did they try to like use the saxophone as a bong <laughs> Oh, yeah, I definitely, I've had a piccolo that we had to completely redo because someone tried to use it as a bong. Uh, The common one that high school students will do is French horn mouthpieces. They'll try and smoke stuff out of that. (laughs) I mean, literally nothing is, like, shocking anymore. Like, you open a case and laugh to yourself, but nothing is shocking. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, instruments that have been ran over, you know, just people, like, DIY repairs that are just scary, like instruments covered in super glue. Like, yeah. oh no, yeah, no. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. So you're yeah. mostly working with like band directors and their student instruments. Uh, currently, yes. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Pittsburgh is a really big, um, has a really big music community for school students. Mm-hmm. So that, that's our bread and butter: is band directors, parents, like. The, the budding musician, if you will. Right. Yeah. Because right. even your uh, Johnston Baugh, is that how you pronounce it? Johnston jo- Baugh's, yes. Johnston Baugh's. couple of syllables. It's still, yeah. <laughs> it's still pretty far out from Pittsburgh. It's like 45-minute drive. Is that maybe um, not quite that far? About a 30-minute drive because we have three locations, oh. one in Allison oh, Park, okay. one in Bridgeville, and one in Golden Mile. So it kind of like covers the the region well Mm -hmm. so gotcha and then do you have i I mean i'm sure you do you have competitors that also um repair things Mm -hmm. i guess there there probably have to be a ton of repair places for as many school systems as there are (laughs) yeah there's a there's a couple of them around here and they all have their little their little corners and niches yeah that's the really cool thing so like i said i from california i did my training and my apprenticeship in california there are a lot more shops up here, I think, comparatively than there are in California. Like in California, there was just way too many. The instrument per technician ratio was just unbelievable. So, but here there is actually a little competition. Like there's enough work to go around. It's quite mm. nice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. good, good. Yeah, I imagine it'd be pretty overwhelming if you were, yeah, being relied on too heavily <laughs> by right. everybody. And at our last <laughs> shop too, we were actually a high-end store. So we saw 
everything and were responsible for all of the school accounts too. So that's how I got so um, immersed in the school programs was mm-hmm. that let's let the apprentice- apprentices take care of like the school instruments while the technicians who have the experience take care of the $10,000 saxophones and mm-hmm. all that yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. Now, I forgot to ask this. When you apprentice, do you pay like any sort of fee for them to teach you? Or is that just like a nice thing they do? <laughs> <laughs> right. So when you do go to tech school, you obviously have to pay a right. tuition and fees. Apprenticeship, the idea is that you get paid like kind of like a base pay because you are somewhat beneficial to the shop. You're doing okay. all the front work mm-hmm. and whatnot, but you do get paid for your time. So that's really cool. That is super um, nice, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people, they, they're they kind of hesitant about going to tech school because you have to pay. You have yeah. to, you know, like commit a year or two of your life to just training. But that's why there's so few apprenticeships because I am the reason why people don't really offer apprenticeships because once the technician is viable, you know, once they have all this training, they're really useful. Hopefully they don't move away. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. They're like, I'm passing but- my business to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but you did move away, right? I did move so, away. what brought you to Pittsburgh? Do you have any family or friends here? or? Um, so, my husband actually, right after we got married, he auditioned for grad schools and everything like that. And he moved to Pittsburgh to go to Carnegie Mellon to do his master's. Mm-hmm. So, I was in California for two years while he was up here in Pittsburgh. Oh, goodness, oh. you were already married. Right as you got yeah. married. Yeah, oh. so we've spent a lot of years apart because he's, he's the one that has traveled for so many musical opportunities. Like, he's lived in Germany for a year and some other stuff, and he's always at festivals. Um, mm-hmm. But we were trying to figure out what was the best course of action if he was going to move back to California mm-hmm. or – because Pittsburgh was really great for him as a freelance um, trombonist and just – his degree here was just wonderful for him. So mm-hmm. it took some time to figure out what was the best choice for us. Like, do we keep doing long distance for years? Do we move mm-hmm. and actually be a married couple? But he convinced me Pittsburgh wasn't too bad. So. And what yeah. do you think so far? <laughs> or how long have you guys, or how long have you been here then? I've been here for two years. Oh, okay. So, so he's what do you been think? here for four or five years. I love Pittsburgh. <laughs> I mean, it's a little cold and a little wonky, but it's a gorgeous city. Um, I love all the parks, all the greenery. I'm a, quite an avid um, fitness person, so I just love being outside all day. Mm-hmm. So, it is a great city for that. Yeah. Also, cost of living here is way cheaper oh, than California. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't hurt. It does not hurt. <laughs> So when did you guys meet, actually? Uh, Taylor and I? Yeah. We met our freshman year of undergrad. We were in the same oh, okay. music classes. Because everyone has the same classes yep. <laughs> for freshmen and sophomores. And I sat behind him in uh, music theory. So, mm. And that oh. was, like, no joke, 10 years ago. So here we are still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cute. Yeah, that's awesome. So you guys plan on really putting roots down here in Pittsburgh? Uh, Or we'll see. We'll see, right? Yeah. So he is still, so he has had all his um, education that he is is wanting to do. And his current thing is auditioning for major symphonies. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you'll go wherever based on that, probably. Yeah. Right, probably. So (laughs) 
um, you know, fingers crossed, he has uh, advanced in a couple of auditions. And unfortunately, there was a number of them to be that were supposed to happen that have been postponed or canceled due to this oh, yeah. whole lockdown mm-hmm. yeah. thing. But the the whole our plan is him moving forward with his career as a musician, and then I would figure out my own way as soon as we figure out where we are. <laughs> yeah, 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 that seems nice. Like I can imagine either. I mean, you have options. Like you can work at a retail, a company already established, or you could do your own type of workshop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you be an independent? um person doing this or is that something you wanted want to, to do yeah. maybe one day <laughs> um i would love to have my own music store i just think like i said it, there's just so many opportunities for them to help the school programs there's so many like education opportunities you can have in the retail setting i don't think i would want to be my own solo repair tech like i said mm. i am not a super mechanical person i do not wake up every day and saying I can't wait to fix a clarinet I don't want my whole business to be fixing clarinet so yeah it's more of the repair tech option was supposed to be a stepping stone into like running a music store knowing every single Ah. facet in detail Mm -hmm. Mm. and so I don't want to be a repair tech my whole life um but it's great for what we're doing now because I can literally go anywhere and have a job Mm -hmm. immediately there is not enough repair techs anywhere in the country yeah super valuable mm-hmm. exactly and honestly when I did come to Pittsburgh I remember I was just like emailing some shops asking about openings and I didn't have to do a bench test normally what you do is you go and they they watch you fix things to see if you can like jive with the do shop it. <laughs> yeah. yeah and no all I did was submit a resume I'm just like hey I'm thinking about moving to Pittsburgh and the responses I got when can you start <laughs> wow you had that good training <laughs> right I had my mentor's um name attached to me and they're just like when do you want to start what do you want to be paid <laughs> <laughs> so I can't imagine the two of us both trying to be um musicians trying to land symphony jobs like that just sounds way too impossible like it helps so much that one of us has a nine to five in in the in the um blue collar kind of setting so i can get a job anywhere while he mm-hmm. figures out where he's going to be yeah right. yeah right. it would being in a professional symphony be something that you would want eventually i don't think so yeah mm-hmm. no the more the <laughs> the longer i've been away from it Mm-hmm. The more I realize it's not for me, especially what I see him go through. I can't mm-hmm. play the same excerpt like for months on end, for hours on end, and still be told it's bad. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like you're not good enough. You were close, but not good. like that's that's just too disheartening to me. Also, too, I don't think it does. I'm really big into community service, and I don't think mm. for I can I can I can reach more people with my skill set mm-hmm. now than as a musician playing music. Right. And that's why you kind of want to be more in the shop area instead of like an individual business, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. I'd much rather have a grassroots movement, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is awesome. I just want to know more. Like, I don't know a lot about how to get into this or just like the whole repair as an option for a career, you know? So what are some tips like yeah, what are some tips for some people trying to get into it? Or how would you know that this could be something that would be that you would be good at? Um, there's a couple of things you can do because we do get 
a number of inquiries, at least I've, I've heard a number of inquiries, like, like high school students that are, that do want to move on with something, but they're not convinced that they want to be. Mm, even high school age. Oh gosh, yes. Because, you know, mm-hmm. that's the thing now is that you have to have a career picked out for you at an early age. Yeah. Like you have to, <laughs> what do you want to be? And it has to be something like firm. And now um, I think it's take, like I said, I'm almost 30 and I finally am okay with the fact that I'm not doing something crazy with my life that like I don't have a plan out and it's okay. <laughs> but like all these high school students, like they have to pick what they're going to go to college for, you know, and what they're going to be and all that kind of fun stuff. So I, we get asked about repair a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but different things you can do is, like I said, the the tech schools that are um, in the country. There's one in Seattle, near Seattle, Washington. There's one in Iowa, and there's one in Montana. All the really mm. cold places. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can go on their websites. You can look what the programs look like. Um, you can see what the courses are, all that kind of fun stuff. I think there's actually some tutorials on there, like sample classes. But looking into... Uh, band instrument repair technical schools. That'd be something to start with. Another thing would just be going to your local repair shop and asking if you can shadow them from a day. I've, you know, we're not like these closeted, <laughs> curmudgeon-y people. We we, we want to like help you guys. So if you want to see what we do, or even if it's just getting your instrument fixed, being like, hey, can I watch you fix my instrument? So we'll most likely say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Just really cool, I think, just to watch. You'd be uh, surprised how a lot of things get fixed, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some people can't handle it. They're like, yeah, I can watch you take out dents out of my instrument, and they see like, it, and ah. they, like, start crying. They're like, oh, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> the bigger hammers come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My teacher one time, she took a like paintbrush and dusted off one of one of her students' oboes, and the student was like, "No!" And I was like, "It's just a paintbrush. Like it's dusty." <laughs> oh no! Um, I have a great story. Uh, my well, it's not a great story necessarily, but my oboe teacher in in college, she was telling me that she is an avid smoker now because when she was in music school, they taught them to look for leaks in their oboe by blowing, like plugging up all the holes in the upper joint and blowing cigarette smoke through it. And if you see like a little puff come out, then you know there's a leak, right? And so she was taught at like 20 years old to like smoke a cigarette to see if her elbow was okay. And she's like, yeah, I don't recommend that now, but I just have never been able to quit that habit. Oh my God, that's terrible. (laughs) That's really hilarious though. (laughs) Okay, I know you can check for leaks with just the suction, but some people Mm -hmm. like plug it into a machine. A magnahelic. Yeah, what is that? What does it do? It basically checks air pressure. So if there's like a leak in the air pressure, there is a much more technical way of explaining it. But yeah. I am not that person. I <laughs> I know how to use it and what it's for. But mm-hmm. like I said, I'm not the most mechanical person out there. And the little widgets and numbers don't really impress me much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it does. It, it detects um how much air is in the instrument, like if it's leaking or not. Mm-hmm. Hmm. mm-hmm. Do you work ever with, like, gouging machines? Ooh, no. <laughs> like, for, for like, Just reed making? Just checking, yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. I think that's, like, the farthest I got into reed making. So I was actually mm. really good at making reeds, and I think that was a great 
yeah, uh, stepping yeah. stone into repair because you had to do it with your hands. There's a lot of very fine, detailed stuff. Learning that one mistake could be fatal, you know? Mm-hmm. Like having that already programmed in. But I just couldn't bring myself to spend the money on a gouging machine. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. <laughs> and then to see if you like that style. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like... It's hard to test it out. <laughs> let me spend $2,000 and see if I like it or not. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. If someone um, has an instrument that they've been playing for, I don't know, a year or two, is there... But nothing dramatic happens mm-hmm. to it. Is there still a certain timeline that you um, should bring your instrument in regardless of if, you know, the car crashes it or something? (laughs) (laughs) Well, definitely. So it depends on how much you're playing the instrument, but we tell everyone bring it in like once a year, even like student instruments when they're just playing band, like after school, Mm -hmm. two days a week. But once a year is a great, is a great checkpoint. If you're playing all the time, if your instrument itself has just certain quirks to it, two mm-hmm. to three years is very acceptable. So the idea is is not to fix a problem when it happens, but to catch a problem before it hinders your playing. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want your valve to be stuck while you need that note in a concert, you know, or you don't want right. your key to fall off while you're like <laughs> walking off stage. Like that's, that's, that's what we try to avoid. <laughs> oh, so the other thing is too, is that, as players, we, we don't really notice the small changes on the instrument when they're gradual. Mm-hmm. So you'd be surprised how well your instrument can play if it is adjusted regularly versus you like pressing harder <laughs> to get the notes to come out or you just accept that intonation problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I play the oboe, so I know how often like adjusting needs to happen. What, right. what about with... <laughs> <laughs> for other instruments who aren't maybe taught like to do all that then is a year enough for them because that seems like for me that seems like you would want to go every season right <laughs> right so in it, like I said it really depends on how much you're playing and right. the quirks of your instrument so you know we have people who don't bring in their instrument until like years after but yeah, like I said, once a year is a great place to start. If you're playing hours every day, then definitely two to three times a year. If your instrument has certain quirks, like an oboe, I would call itself quirky regardless of okay. what brand it is. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I see. Bringing in a little more often. So especially like with flutes, um, they need a little bit more love and servicing than a clarinet would. Saxophones, you can kind of muster through a lot of things. But um, just depends on what you're playing and the instrument itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, have you ever thought about you teaching or I don't know if that would be you you already apprentice so what would that make you oh if I were to take on an apprentice yes <laughs> that would technically make me um I think it's called a master teacher yeah something like that <laughs> the but master. honestly I I do at least my my shop right now we have taken on an apprentice so they are oh, directly awesome. underneath me mm-hmm. and I've been training them a bit so Oh, so you are doing that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You already do that. <laughs> um, I've only been doing repair for about five or six years, something like that. But the apprenticeship that I did was incredibly thorough with um, – it had a lot of time spent on ergonomics and efficiency. And like mm. I said, it was in a high-end shop with high production. So my apprenticeship was a bit different than a lot of other apprentices out there where I had a – 
crazy amount of really important knowledge shoved into me in such a short amount of time. And I was expected to keep that and retain that if I wanted to keep doing my apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my skill set's a little bit higher in that regard for how long I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. Starting off as an apprentice. So I'm just happy to, you know, help someone else, you know, get into a music repair. It's like when... When you play oboe, the, the, at least the joke when I was um, back in Sacramento is that you teach so you can maybe one day find a sub for yourself, you know? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so if I if we get more apprentices out there, get more repair techs out there, there's less work that we have to do. Like, thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And what is the name of the place you apprenticed, just in case somebody's wondering? Yeah, I, I apprenticed at Tim's Music in Sacramento, California, and my... Um, my boss, so my mentor was Scott Mandeville, and Scott Mandeville is currently a NAM board member. That's the National mm-hmm. Association of Music Merchants. Um, so he does that. He also has been the board the board president of the National Association of Band Instrument Repair Technicians for a number of years. So he's just been doing it forever, and he's really great at what he does. He's a really kind man. Um, his main, that's how I got so much into the giving back aspect was mm. our store's motto was, um, promoting wellness in society through music education and performance and everything we did had to be around that. So mm. he found his own way to be a music educator. He oh yeah. Made me think of it to do it too. That's so cool. For yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds like he's the guy and he's willing to take on apprentices. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that. I am so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a start, at least, in case. I mean, I know it can be like, oh, where do we even start? So this, I think this will be very helpful for people interested, for sure. Oh, yeah. So literally go down to your music store and just ask, like, what do you guys recommend? Can I watch what you do? Mm -hmm. Do you have an opening? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dip your feet in there. Do you get, like, a little official certification for all of this it's not a really regulated industry unfortunately mm-hmm. which is why you do hear so many like horror stories when it comes to repair mm-hmm. i mean if you do graduate from a tech program you get a certificate from that but right. there's nothing saying that you are certified in anything really um you can be a NAPERT member and that is the national association of uh, professional bandage repair technicians and that's a great way to see if your technician is you know somewhat credible <laughs> okay is being part of a larger association like that you can though get certified in some higher end um instruments like at my shop right now our brass specialist he is a shires and an edwards certified trombone repairist so that's really cool um like you can be like Miramatsu certified to work on Miramatsu flutes. Mm. So, like the really high end instruments, you can get certifications from that company. You go to them, they watch you fix things. They're like, great, you can touch our stuff and we approve. Okay, okay. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. What are some horror stories? Oh, like bad repairs? Yeah. Oh, I mean, like things that. Or somebody trying to repair their own instrument. Oh, God. I just said there's there's (laughs) countless. If you're talking about, like, horror stories coming out of other shops, I've seen, like, nice instruments, higher-end instruments treated illy, like, 
repairing instruments is not really a science necessarily. It's more of an art. There's an art mm-hmm. in how you do your repairs. There's an art in how you execute it. Um, so cleanliness in your work is really important. Ooh. Like getting something back without a bunch of tool marks, without a bunch of damage to it. Like especially dent work, that is crazy, crazy, crazy amount of finesse and um, forethought, feel, all that kind of stuff. And it's you can make a dent so much worse or distort something if mm. you're not really comfortable or sure of what you're doing or just, just the wrong thing happened at the wrong time. But I mean, seeing someone's nice instrument and having bad repair work is always just something that you kind of see sometimes, unfortunately, you know, gouging in the wood because their tool slipped and like went that way or, or putting bad pads into an instrument. That's a really common one is that you can order pad sets online and parents take like hot glue or like plumber's caulk and they try and like repad their kid's instrument and it won't play at all and then you have to like (laughs) and they don't understand that you can't like work with what they've done and you have to repad the entire instrument and they just can't but there's new pads in it it's like no it's no they're bad i don't want your pads oh no so that's always like a common thing you do see um do you get parents like saying, oh, just tell me how to do it so I can do it? All, I just got an email yesterday. Is Oh, I, I have fixed my guitar in the past. I can fix my daughter's flute. And then yeah. going on to describe the process of, like, what's wrong with it. And there's pictures. And it's just, well, the pads aren't sealing on the flute because part of the key that's on the instrument has come unsoldered. So, like, there's mm. no way you can get anything to close. And please do not take a flame to this instrument. Please don't try yeah. to weld anything. You don't weld on instruments. You solder. It's different chemical. There's different um, mm. materials for that. Um, I mean, super glue is a super common one that people think they can fix instruments with. And super glue does not, super glue does not come off plastic. It does not. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, no. When... We do have to take super glue off things. The only real way is you either scrape it off, and that's when you're ruining the wood, mm-hmm. or you have to soak it in acetone, which we don't know what it will do. Depends on the material itself. So, no super glue. Scotch tape will also mark instruments. Like, just all kinds of fun things. Uh, I've seen <laughs> chewing gum being used as a pad replacement. <gasps> Like a pad falls out or like a like a spit valve falls out and someone sticks gum in there and then it's like a mess to try and get out. <laughs> Just different things or like people will try to electrical solder like posts that have popped off or like a liar holder that's popped off and we will charge you to fix what you did and then mm-hmm. we will charge you to fix it correctly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's stop asking her questions about this. Ah! <laughs> it's making your heart making hurt, you isn't it? It is. <laughs> Well, I had um, one of my students' parents was like, well, why don't you just teach me how to make the reeds and then I'll make them for her because I'm pretty crafty. And I'm like, well, but you don't play. <laughs> so I can only imagine people do the same thing. <laughs> you know, it, my grandfather, or my mom actually said that to me one, one time. She's like, well, you just need to teach Ro. And Ro's my um, 92, or uh, he might be 94 by now. I don't know. He's in his 90s year old grandfather who lives uh, with my family. She's like, you just need to teach Ro how to make your reeds and then he'll just crank them out for you. <laughs> and like, he's good with his hands. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, I cannot. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> oh my gosh. My father-in-law 
tried to convince me to teach him how to fix stuff so we can have a family business together. Ah, I was just like, no, 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 no. He's like, we can buy a house together and we can all just live together and have the shop in the bottom. And I fixed bikes before. I could fix instruments. Just like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that is so, it's cute, but it's like, it's complimentary, (laughs) but at the same time horrifying, you know? Yeah, then you would have to teach him how to do them. You're like, how about I move to the East Coast? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, great. It's great. Goodness. Uh, I I don't know if I have a good leading question for you or if this might be too open-ended, but I'm curious to hear more about your philosophies with music, music education, mm-hmm. and fitting into the community how, and how it all fits in. Um, um, where does the passion come from? What inspires you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So basically... I, like I said before, band is, was such a positive thing growing up for me in my community. Our community didn't have a lot of resources. When I was in band, no one had their own instrument, really. No one had private lessons. Just the community couldn't afford it, but also the culture wasn't quite there. But at the same time, everyone did band because that was something positive. And so I went into college really wanting to keep continuing that. And it was just really frustrating seeing the whole process. Like when you're told in your undergrad music classes for education that most of you will not be able to handle it, not because of the job itself, but because of all the bureaucrat- bureaucratic stuff you have oh. to do, all the um, negativity from your administration, the parents, all that kind of fun stuff. Also how you're expected to be this expert when you don't know how to teach choir or you have no idea how to, you know, teach a guitar class. Like, you're that's not your thing. But you're expected to do it and do it well and do it within six weeks' notice, right? So just from that beginning, just there's such a negativity. Like, this is an incredibly hard job and it's the hours you work for what you get paid is just... It just didn't sound great. Mm -hmm. And the more I was in this program, the more I saw my friends getting out and having these actual problems, like seeing the actual problem itself. And once I got through my degree, I kind of, I didn't want to be part of the problem. Not not saying the teachers are part of the problem, but they are just so heavily into the problem. Like they have to deal with so much nonsense that I kind of wanted to be part of the solution in my Mm -hmm. own way. And I wouldn't have seen that without, you know, having the mentorship that I did have because my boss saw that too and was doing Mm -hmm. everything in his power to make the teacher's jobs easier so they can have an easier time teaching their kids. And I just thought that would be a great way to actually help our music educators if they can actually have instruments that were functioning. That's like half their job is trying to figure out (laughs) why Mm -hmm. so-and-so can't play certain notes or why it's out of tune. Um... Also, too, my old boss did a lot of grant writing, like, helped with grant writing and, like, different administration stuff, and that's how I got into it. And, like, now I write to business offices on teachers' requests and everything, like, helping them figuring out how do you submit a PO, how do you actually Hmm. get your stuff paid for, like, you have to go through these channels, this is how. So just, like, all those little small things that you're not taught in your undergrad that you're not taught in the credential program that you struggle with while trying to keep the attention of 60 kids and parents and all that kind of fun stuff. Like all little small things that we can do to help, I think really does help the kids in the end. So, Yeah. Definitely. That was really well said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because like when I was thought of being a band director, it's it's a great cause and people who are band directors do it for their kids. Mm-hmm. And that's like what's anywhere from like 20 to 80 kids you see a year. And if I can help 40 band directors make their jobs easier, in turn, like I'm helping that many more kids have mm-hmm. a better time in music. Maybe they won't drop out of band because their instruments don't work or because, you know, whatever reason. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, good. And then I also, I don't know, it seems like you're really, uh, well, on your Instagram, it seems like you're really, really <laughs> into um, fitness as well. You mentioned it a little uh, a little bit, but I don't know. I'm curious about your other hobbies, you as a fully rounded individual. So oh. what sort of um, fitness things <laughs> do you do? Yeah, well, if you can't tell, I talk incredibly fast and I never stop <laughs> doing things. Like I, I don't like sitting for any period of time so (laughs) I love running running is my jam and I Mm -hmm. actually this is a new thing but I'm actually an indoor cycling instructor so I teach spin classes uh three to five days a week and I also run actually I do marathons so that's long distance Mm. running yeah so wow so have you done the there's a big one around Pittsburgh right yeah the Pittsburgh marathon Oh, the, okay. I yeah. did that one. That was actually my first marathon, and I had a blast. And so I run with a local running club. So all us cool kids get together, and we run for hours on end and talk about running and then go drink beer afterwards. Aww. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Now, okay, Pittsburgh has a lot of hills, though. Are you doing oh all those hills? So I thought I was in <laughs> shape before, and then I moved to Pittsburgh, and I tried to go, like, on an easy five-mile run. I got, like, down the street and wanted to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so we lived um, right by CMU when I first moved here. We lived mm-hmm. right off of um, South Negley, I think it's called Negley, that top okay, of the yeah. hill. Oh, no. <laughs> and I got so lost, and I thought that was the only way home. I was just so devastated. Up the hill? Up the hill. <laughs> oh, that's a big That's hill. like the hill over there. So now <laughs> hills don't bother me. It's like a part of life. And when I do my indoor cycling classes, people complain, you know, because you can either like bike really fast or you go up a hill in a, mm-hmm. in a cycling class. And I was like, man, you guys can't complain. You live in Pittsburgh. Like you should be used to it by now. Like everything is a hill. Yeah. Do you like to bike outside as well? Oh, yeah. 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 I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with it. Um compared to California, it was a little bit scary because there aren't bike lanes. The streets are crazy There's directionally. There's car lanes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The potholes are a thing. So uh-huh. I'm being a little bit more comfortable with it, but yeah, it is pretty fun. And like, it's so beautiful and green outside, mm-hmm. at least summer, springtime, snow, not so much, but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about like mountain biking? Do you go anywhere in the woods Ooh. to bike? Or not really? I don't mountain bike because I'm pretty sure I would break my shoulder in like a hot second. (laughs) I do trail running. Trail running is really fun. And I discovered that here in Pittsburgh. Like North Park is fabulous for trail running. There's even the trail runners that have their 5 a.m. runs and it's pretty fun. But um, mountain biking scares me. (laughs) I don't trust myself. Just biking (laughs) on the street scares me. Um. My husband just brought home a couple bikes um, where he works. They have, um, well, it doesn't matter how we got them, I guess, but he brought home some bikes and uh, we went out for, uh, I guess, mountain biking at a place we'd never been to before. And it was pretty scary. (laughs) I was like, I walked most of it because it was such a steep incline down. And then as we were going back up, we saw the um, sign and it said four foot traffic 
um, only. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. No one's supposed to be on a bike doing this. <laughs> so now I'm like, we need to find somewhere that is for bikes, though. So I was thinking North Park. Um, oh, yeah, that's fabulous for um. Is that good for bikes as well? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if anything, too, um, Pro Bike and Run opened up a store, like, right there in North Park. So you just go in there. Oh, yeah. And they have all – that's their thing, too, is, like, mountain biking. Like, because it is right within the trails. So go in there and just ask, like, I want to bike somewhere. These are my specifications. Help me. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Because we were thinking about going to North Park today. We were going to go yesterday, but then it started raining. Um, But anyway, cool. but you know what is really cool though i'll tell you what in terms like the fitness thing because of my um music background Mm -hmm. i love doing indoor cycling because i make my own playlists and oh it is so fun i I have such an eclectic playlist i make my um we do jazz music all the time like it'll go from like etta james to some rap song to some pop song to like bluegrass and like i love making them cool down to piano concertos and everyone's just like what is this like this is music (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh yeah look at that now you're an investor (laughs) for music Oh, you should just you should just follow me on Spotify and like look at any one of my um cycling playlists. It's pretty pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Is it the same email? Um No, actually, it's under Taylor's. It's really bad. I like I said, I don't do technology, so I just hop <laughs> on Taylor's accounts. Like I don't have yeah. a Facebook, but like I just use his Facebook for things and I'll comment on people's things and he's like, yeah. "Stop doing that. I don't know who this is." Um <laughs> So it's under Taylor's Spotify, and he's, like, literally, like, 50 different indoor cycling playlists, and there's, like, trombone auditions and then more cycling playlists. Yeah. It's great. I tell, um, the the members at my gym that I work at, they they ask me to follow me on Spotify. I'm like, you gotta look for an Asian man on Spotify, and that is gonna be me. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. So how how often do you do that, then? Is it mostly, like, evenings? Um, it depends. So, bef- I don't know what's going to happen with the whole lockdown right. and everything, but before mm-hmm. I was doing my set classes where I was doing one at 6 a.m. and then two in the evenings, but I was also, because um, I was low man on the totem pole, I was filling in a lot. So, I was doing classes anywhere from 5 to 6 a.m. in the mornings, going mm-hmm. to work, and then doing classes at like 7 or 8 at night. It just oh depends. Oh my gosh. That is so much work. <laughs> it's so fun, In a day. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like you're doing, like, just all the good stuff that you want to do, though. Yeah. And on Pittsburgh has allowed us to do that, I think. Um, like I said, we're not worried about bills necessarily, like, compared to California. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just so much easier to put priority on things we want to make priority so even though I could if I worked at the shop more I would probably get paid a little more but I really like doing cycling so I'm able to adjust it for what I want to do or hey I want to go run a bunch of races let's spend money on that versus trying to like pay for car registration every so often and oh (laughs) oh I'm really glad that you were able to come on because um, you are the ideal candidate for what we talk about um, being like putting together this like portfolio career where like, well, I'm passionate about this and I can figure out, I can like put that passion into this thing that I do, but also I kind of want to do this because like, 
you only get one life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, let's... um, Let's put together this like career that we this like instead of, of things. <laughs> yeah, instead of like necessarily going for this um, dream, like ultimate one ideal, like what you think a musician should be instead of maybe that isn't what you want it to be. So yeah, it can feel weird if you know that's what everyone's going for more or less, but you still mm-hmm. love music and you want to fit that in mm-hmm. somehow. And so, yeah, it's great to highlight people who are doing that in um, just different ways. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I gotta say, too, like, so I do play, like, instruments. Like, I do get to play mm-hmm. music. You you can pick what you test play, but I do play for hours a day. Like, I do get to educate countless people like do get to make a difference in our musical community every single minute that I'm at my job Mm -hmm. and I also get to expose people who would not have any idea about classical music or jazz or blues or anything like that through like my spin classes and everything so it's just a little bit of everything I've been trained to do throughout my day so and just digging it just hanging out with my husband get to live in the same place that's like priority number one oh yeah then just figuring it out as it comes by Ah, awesome! Thank you so much! Of course! Yeah, thank you for being a guest with us today. Anytime! Please, whenever you guys guys need anything fixed, let me know. Yeah! If it's something I can't fix, I'll let you know. I'll tell you who can. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you wanted to shout out? Do you have a website or anything? Or, I assume not because of your technology rant, but maybe... (laughs) (laughs) I would honestly say, I don't say like a shout or anything, but honestly... I think there's such preconceived notions about almost anything. I look like a like a, a, a young person. I'm the first person to admit that. But I'm a small girl. I'm a small woman. And I do a classically man's job. Right? Yep. And so I've had so many people comment over that about the years. Like either they didn't think I was good enough to repair something. Or oh my gosh, that's so great to see a woman in a role like this. Um, going into classrooms as an authoritative figure, as a knowledgeable figure talking to students about what I do, but you don't have to think that you're not qualified for something just because of how the stereotype is. So Mm -hmm. like I said, I'm a small person. I'm a cute little peppy girl. I'm not that (laughs) curmudgeon old, like, (laughs) uh, repair tech that doesn't want to talk to you. So don't talk to them. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to do something, just do it. Don't be afraid about breaking a mold necessarily. Yeah. No matter how old you are, what you look like, what the job field normally is. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that was good to say. Good to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was even thinking that. Like, yeah. I know. I, I am way too peppy to be a repair tech, actually. Well, so. <laughs> I mean, it's always like the repair people are like, this is my secret workspace. And right? Like, just... don't make eye contact with me because I'm socially <laughs> awkward and haven't dealt with right. that in 50 years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I mean, luckily, that's all starting to change now, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really great when you go to the national repair conferences now, over half of the attendants are women, young women. Oh, uh, I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So we actually had a, a clinic at the last conference solely about women in the repair industry and the issues that we deal with and ways to address it. So. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so they recognize it in your industry as well, that it's yeah, it's uncommon. A, yeah, yeah, and it's a thing, and the world better, like, <laughs> catch up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, cool. All right, yeah, thank you so much again. Yeah. 
If you really like these interviews and our content, please go over and leave us a review right now. That would be so helpful and exciting. We'd love to hear your feedback. And we will continue to search for more um, people to interview. Yes. 